Chapter thirty six of Unknown to History by Charlotte Mary Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tanika, Madison, Alabama. A Venture. Mother, dear mother, do but listen to me. I must listen, child, when thou callest me so from your heart. But it is of no use, my poor little one. They have referred the matter to the star chamber that they may settle it there with closed doors and no forms of law. Thou couldst do nothing. And could I trust thee to go wandering to London like a maiden in a ballad, all alone? Nay, madam, I should not go alone. My father, I mean Mr. Talbot, would take me. Come, Bernie, that is presuming overmuch on the good man's kindness. I do not speak without warrant, madam. I told him what I longed to do, and he said it might be my duty, and if it were so, he would not gainsay me, but that he could not let me go alone, and he would go with me, and he can get access for me to the Queen. He has seen her himself, and so has Humphrey, and Dickon is a gentleman pensioner. There have been ventures enough for me already, said Mary. I will bring no more faithful heads into peril. Then you will not consent, mother? He will quit the castle to-morrow, and I am to see him in the morning and give him an answer. If you would let me go, he would crave license to take me home, saying that I look paler than my want. And so thou dost, my child. If I could be sure of ever seeing thee again, I should have proposed thy going home to good Mistress Susan's tendance for a little space. But it is not to be thought of. I could not risk thee or any honest loving heart on so desperate a stake as mine. I love thee, mine Anne. True, leal lassie, all the more, and I honour him, but it may not be. Ask me no more. Mary was here interrupted by a request from Sir Christopher Hatton for one of the many harassing interviews that beset her during the days following the trial, when judgment was withheld according to the express command of the facilitating Elizabeth, and the case remitted to the Star Chamber. Lord Burgi considered this hesitation to be the effect of judicial blindness, so utterly had hatred and fear of the future shut his eyes to all sense of justice and fair play. Cicely felt all youth's disappointment in the rejection of its grand schemes, but to her surprise, at night, Mary addressed her again. "'My daughter, did that true-hearted foster-father of thine speak in sooth?' "'He never doth otherwise,' returned Cicely. For, said her mother, I have thought of a way of gaining the access to the Queen, far less perilous to him, and less likely to fail. I will give thee letters to Monsieur de Chateauneuf, the French ambassador, whom I have known in old times, with full credentials. It might be well to have with thee those that I left with Mistress Talbot. Then he will gain the admittance, and work for thee as one sent from France, and protected by the rights of the embassy. Thus Master Richard need never appear in the matter at all, and at any rate thou wouldst be secure. Shut enough would find means of sending thee abroad if needful. Oh, I would return to you, madam, my mother, or wait for you in London. That must be as the wills above decree, said Mary sadly. It is folly in me, but I cannot help grasping at the one hope held out to me. There is that within me that will hope and strive to the end, though I am using my one precious jewel to wait the line I am casting across the gulf. At least they cannot do thee great harm, my good child. The Queen sat up half the night writing letters, one to Elizabeth, one to Chateauneuf, and another to the Duchess of Lorraine, which Cis was to deliver in case of her being sent over to the continent. 
but the queen committed the conduct of the whole affair to monsieur de chateauneau since she could completely trust his discretion and regard for her and moreover it was possible that the face of affairs might undergo some great alteration before cicely could reach london mr talbot must necessarily go home first being bound to do so by his commission to the earl and hark thee said the queen what becomes of the young gallant i have not heard madam said cicely not liking the tone if my desires still have any effect said mary he will stay here i will not have my damoiselle errant squired by a youth under five and twenty i promise you madam and he wots it said cicely with spirit he was it doth he said the queen in a rather provoking voice no no mignon with our respect to their honour and discretion we do not put flint and steel together when we do not wish to kindle a fire nay little one i meant not to vex thee when thou art doing one of the noblest deeds daughter ever did for mother and for a mother who sent thee away from her and whom thou scarce hast known for more than two years cicely was sure to see her foster-father after morning prayers on the way from the chapel across the inner court here she was able to tell him of the queen's consent over which he looked grave having secretly persuaded himself that mary would think the venture too great and not hopeful enough to be made he could not however wonder that the unfortunate lady should catch at the least hope of preserving her life and she had dragged too many down in the whirlpool to leave room for wonder that she should consent to peril her own daughter therein moreover he would have the present pleasure of taking her home with him to his susan and who could say what will happen in the meantime thou hast counted the cost he said yea sir cis answered as the young always do adding the queen saith that if we commit all to the french ambassador monsieur de chateauneau who is her very good friend he will save you from any peril hm, i'd rather be beholden to no frenchman muttered richard but we will see we will see i must now to paulet to obtain consent to take thee with me thou art pale and changed enough indeed to need a blast of hallamshire air my poor maid so master richard betook him to the knight a man of many charges and made known that finding his daughter somewhat pulling and sickly he wished having as she had told him the consent of the queen of scots to take her home with him for a time you do well mr talbot said sir Remias. in sooth i have only marvelled that a pious and godly man like you should have consented to let her abide so long at her tender age among these papistical idolatrous and bloodthirsty women i think not that she hath taken harm said richard i have done my poor best i have removed the priests of baal said the knight i have caused godly ministers constantly to preach sound doctrine in the ears of all who would hearken and i have uplifted my testimony whensoever it was possible but it is not well to expose the young to touching the accursed thing and this lady hath shown herself greatly affected to your daughter so that she might easily be seduced from the truth yet sir bethink you it is well to remove the maiden from witnessing that which will be a warning for ever of the judgment that falleth on conspiracy and idolatry you deem the matter so certain said richard beyond a doubt sir this lady will never leave these walls alive there can be no peace for england nor safety for our blessed and gracious queen while she lives her guilt is certain and as mr secretary said to me last night he and the lord treasurer are determined that for no legal quibbles nor scruples of mercy from our ever pitiful queen 
shall she now escape her majesty however her womanish heart may doubt now will rejoice when the deed is done methinks i showed you the letter she did me the honour to write thanking me for the part i took in conveying the lady suddenly to tixall richard had already read that letter three times so he avowed his knowledge of it you will not remove your son likewise added sir amias he hath an acquaintance with this lady's people which is useful in one so thoroughly to be trusted and moreover he will not be tampered with for sir i am never without dread of some attempt being made to deal with this lady privily in which case i should be the one to bear all the blame wherefore i have made request to have another honourable gentleman joined with me in this painful wardship richard had no desire to remove his son he shared queen mary's feelings on the inexpediency of humphrey forming part of the escort of the young lady and thought it was better for both to see as little of one another as possible sir amias accordingly on his morning visit of inspection intimated to the queen that mr talbot wished his daughter to return home with him for the recovery of her health he spoke as if the whole suite were at his own disposal and mary resented it in her dignified manner the young lady hath already requested license from us she said and we have granted it she will return when her health is fully restored sir amias had forbearance enough not to hint that unless the return was speedy she would scarcely find the queen there and the matter was settled master richard would not depart until after dinner when other gentlemen were going and this would enable cicely to make up her mails and there would still be time to ride a stage before dark her own horse was in the stables and her goods would be bestowed in cloak-bags on the saddles of the grooms who had accompanied mr talbot for small as was the estate of bridgefield for safety's sake he could not have gone on so long an expedition without a sufficient guard the intervening time was spent by the queen in instructing her daughter how to act in various contingencies if it were possible to the french ambassador to present her as freshly come from the soissons convent where she was to have been reared it would save mr talbot from all risk but the queen doubted whether she could support the character so english was her heir though there were scottish and english nuns at soissons and still more at louvain and douay who might have brought her up i cannot feign madam said cicely alarmed oh i hope i need only speak truth and her tone sounded much more like a confession of incapacity than a moral objection and so it was received poor child i know thou canst not act a part and thy return to the honest mastiffs will not further thee in it but i have bidden shut a note to do what i can for thee and after all the eyes will not be very critical if there was still time cicely was to endeavour first of all to obtain of elizabeth that mary might be brought to london to see her and be judged before parliament with full means of defence if this were no longer possible cicely might attempt to expose walsingham's contrivance but this would probably be too dangerous chateauneau must judge or as another alternative queen mary gave cicely the ring already shown at the trial and with that as her pledge a solemn offer was to be made on her behalf to retire into a convent in austria or in one of the roman catholic cantons of switzerland out of the reach of spain and france and there take the veil resigning all her rights to her son all her money had been taken away but she told cicely she had given orders to chateauneau to supply from her french dowry all that might be needed for the expenses that must be incurred now that the matter was becoming so real cicely's heart quailed a little castles in the air that look heroic at the first glance would not so remain 
did they not show themselves terrible at a nearer approach, and the maiden wondered whether Queen Elizabeth would be much more formidable than my Lady Countess in a rage. And what would become of herself? Would she be detained in the bondage in which the poor sisters of the grey blood had been kept, or would her mother carry her off to these strange lands? It was all so strange, and the very boldness of her offer, since it had been thus accepted, made her feel helpless and passive in the grasp of the powers that her simple wish had set moving. The letters were sewn up in the most ingenious manner in her dress by Mary Seaton, in case any search should be made, but the only woman Sir Amias would be able to employ in such a matter was purblind and helpless, and they trusted much to his implicit faith in the Talbots. There was only just time to complete her preparations before she was summoned, and with an almost convulsive embrace from her mother, and whispered benedictions from Jean Kennedy, she left the dreary walls of Fotheringay. Humphrey rode with them through the chase. Both he and Cicely were very silent. When the time came for parting, Cicely said as she laid her hand in his, "'Dear brother, for my sake do all thou canst for her with honour." "'That will I,' said Humphrey. "'Would that I were going with thee, Cicely.' "'So would not I,' she returned, "'for then there would be one true heart the less to watch over her.' "'Come, daughter,' said Richard, who had engaged one of the gentlemen in conversation so as to leave them to themselves. "'We must be jogging. Fare thee well, my son, till such time as thy duties permit thee to follow us.'" End of chapter 36 Recording by Tanika, Madison, Alabama